like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. Good evening, Brooklyn. So is that? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're glad uh, you all can make it here on Friday night. And uh, we've been looking forward to this one. And uh, I just, we should uh, say thanks to everybody that, that built this, uh, this building. And uh, the one guy we know is Jay-Z. So we'll say thanks to Jay-Z for the... Uh, We got 99 problems, but the place to play ain't one. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs the definitive live pearl jam podcast and the last couple weeks we have been focusing on the shows that the hosts have gone to and we got a couple from john the last couple weeks doing atlanta and columbia and i was sort of doing the south and figuring out some stuff in the south and telling some stories from down there but now it is my turn to share some of my stories and of course being based in the northeast you're going to get two northeast shows right in a row. Today is Brooklyn 2013. Now, of course, everybody really knows Night 2. Night 2 has been covered on this podcast in episode number 7. A long time ago, you guys. So today, we are covering Night 1, and it's going to be a good one. We are going to have a very special guest on our program. He is the former COO of the Barclays Center and the Brooklyn Nets, Fred Mangione, and he's been nice enough to come on, huge Pearl Jam fan, and talk about what it took to book them on this night and kind of some of what went on a little behind the curtain a little bit. So that should be really interesting. Can't wait to talk to him. But first, we do have a little ticket situation from the following week that we do need to address. So we're going to take care of that first. Randy Sobel over here. And over there, 
Hey, Randy. Hey, John. Hey, everyone on the podcast. How's everybody oh doing? God. Oh, my God. It's Javier. <laughs> what happened? Usually, I have to splice in your clip every week, but now you're here. Goodness. I know. I just, I kidnapped John. He's on the, like, he's in the other room. So Not I just... Johnny Guitar Farrar. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we... We want to do something a little different this week, but uh, yeah, I am super excited to be with everyone tonight. And it's so different when you're just not by yourself recording stuff and just sending it over to try to get it right. So it's more exciting this way, I guess. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's going to be a theme a little bit for this show and my personal intake of it. Because this Brooklyn show, I went to alone by myself and I have done that in the past, and it's one of those things where you like being there alone at the time, and you do remember stuff sometimes, but this was a show where I had some difficulty trying to remember things, and sometimes I think, and in comparison to night two, where I went with a a longtime friend of mine, you kind of have to go back to like who you bounce your memories off of, and who's reacting to what you're reacting to you know what i mean so like there are moments in this that i don't quite remember how i reacted to them that kind of nobody else does either unless you happen to be paying real real good attention to me around there so that's actually teeing us into talking about tickets and them going on sale last week and the whole 10 club drop because you know, talking about ticket buddies and everything like that, Javier, you and I, we are going to be right there in, in Seattle together, watching the whole show and intaking just like we did in Chicago. So I'm, I'm freaking so pumped for that and so excited. So yeah, let's get into all that. Now, of course, there is the underlying, I guess, elephant in the room here where the ticket situation did not go down smoothly almost for everybody it's a shame that the whole thing kind of felt broken there were people that had been 10 club members for over 25 years that struck out completely and then there were people that joined up on 10 club maybe a month ago or so and got exactly what they wanted And it felt like there wasn't a lot of balance. You have to find that balance somewhere and be good to your people that have seniority, but also at the same time, making sure that those other fans that are brand new to this, that might never seen a show live before that they get something as well. And it's one of those things. Like I look back to, to what happened. I did really, really well. I went six for eight out of everything that I put in for. And then I got the verified fan and I got the verifying fan show that I got for was the Seattle one that I had already gotten tickets for. Like it's, it's a mess completely inside and out. And I wish that things were coordinated a little bit better where the system could figure it out. And of course this year we didn't have the priority to put what shows we want ahead of the others. And it's disappointing to see that many people disappointed. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying. So in my case, I put for four shows. 
I only ended up getting two out of four. And well, by the way, 92 days counting to Seattle, but nobody's counting, right? But no one. Uh, I don't know anybody. <laughs> yeah, we might have a little group going there. There's people that we care about each other a lot, which I'm super excited as well. But I, I, I totally get what you're saying, man. Um, it, it's something that I read over social media and my kind of personalities kind of like stay away from that. And I don't want to sound selfish by any means. I totally understand what you're saying. Like it must be a way that everybody gets a little piece of happiness just to see this band I don't know how the system can be fixed. I was wondering, based on conversations that we have had with our friends too, like, I wonder if there's some sort of like trigger that says like, okay, wait, you already got four shows in the next one, in the fifth one that you're going to be pulled out, you're not going to be part of that. I don't know that that is a flag system for them. I was just wondering about that because... It, it makes you sad. Like, I really think that as a music lover, you should have the opportunity to enjoy this band live. And it, it's unfortunate that right now, hopefully people don't have to deal with a lot of scalpers and like high prices, but I don't think that's not going to be the case, unfortunately. So I, I agree with you. I think hopefully based on the last two years of their experience with the tickets, I really hope that they figure out a better system because... It needs to be better for sure. Like, I don't want to get into what's going on in Europe because people there are very upset about the prices too and all that, which is, you you understand. You understand what they're complaining about, so. Yeah, and the prices is a different thing for me because you just have to expect that prices are going to go up every year. Is it fair? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, but it's just something they do. And I'm not eager to get into the conversation of, oh, what became of Pearl Jam from their fight with Ticketmaster in 1994 to what they're doing with them now. I'm not, I'm like, just not really interested in that conversation. I'm trying to think a lot more positively as to, okay, the system kind of screwed a lot of people over that shouldn't have been screwed over at all. How can we make sure that those people get a little bit of the piece of what they wanted and intended to for this show? And it is weird. You kind of mentioned, how do we fix this? The algorithm, you would think with a monopoly like Ticketmaster that doesn't just have Ticketmaster, but Live Nation as well, that they run all this stuff on, you would think that they purchase extremely intelligent algorithm that can deal with all this. And as we've seen, it's not just Pearl Jam, but the Taylor Swift fiasco too was a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, either they don't care or it's just not something that they want to put in their budget. And it's just kind of like, we're getting the money anyway. So whatever you really want to go to the show, you'll find a way kind of deal. And then of course, when you go to Ticketmaster and nothing's up for fan to fan, it's all going to be premium prices, which is just absolutely ridiculous. The only solution that we have for this is that if you're on Facebook, and a lot of you are, you're joined in on the podcast community group, and every year what we do is we put together a little barter thread where everybody can go in, share what they have on tickets for trades, what they're looking for, in tickets or what they're trying to sell off. And that way everybody has one place where they can figure it out post and hopefully match up with people. And the goal of that is 
obviously it's going to be impossible to get everybody everything that they want, but to monitor it and to make sure that there is a match for somebody somewhere. And it's happened. Look, it's happened before and made people very, very happy just getting into the building. There's a couple months until things happen, maybe 92 days. But honestly, from the time that this episode is going to be out, it's going to be what, like 87, 88, something like that? Yeah, so, exactly. Different kind of countdown. But just keep that in mind. If you are on Facebook and don't follow the Pearl Jam Podcast community group, make sure you do and keep your eye on that because hopefully – a lot of people and already a lot of people have been posting and working on that. So hopefully that continues and hopefully everybody gets to find what they want. But Seattle is going to be super awesome. Now we got an Airbnb that's right across from climate pledge. So we're really excited about that. And we were talking about some plans for that today, like going to Pike market earlier in the day buying you know one of the fishmonger salmons so they could throw it across and i've always wanted to do that the, the last time i was in seattle there was a group just huddled around waiting for them to throw the fish and they're like somebody needs to buy the damn fish for us to do anything <laughs> yeah we can i think we can try to get the fish I was going to say, since we're going to be in front of the, the arena, we're going to be charging premium prices for water, too. Somebody wants to stop by. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. It's just funny. I was going to offer them a bathroom to go in after a merch line or something. Or the yeah, no, I know. Let's not get hit by the fish. You know what I mean? But like, oh, just I, I don't think we're anywhere close to the fish. I think they tell you to stand <laughs> the fuck back. Okay, good. Because I remember a few years ago when I went back, like, one of them got a little closer and I was like, okay, I, need, I think I need to step back. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, that's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of, you know, just friendship and then yeah. two awesome shows. I, it, it's always been one of my youth dreams just to see him in their hometown. And I'm so happy that I can finally kind of like check mark that, you know? Same. Well, all right, that was fun, and as the weeks go by, we'll continue to talk about plans and everything like that, and thoughts about a tour shirt are in the works, and hopefully we can get something going before the May show start and everything like that, so crossing fingers and really hoping for all you guys that you're able to find something soon, because this is what we all live for, you guys, seeing this band live. Don't want to take that away from anybody. Let's dance into Brooklyn right now. Yeah, as I kind of teed it up before, this was a kind of an in-between show a little bit. And I had gone to Wrigley that year, obviously, that being kind of a thing uh, among itself. And then I took a trip up to Buffalo for the second night of this tour and kind of did it on a whim. Like the show was on a Saturday and I must have bought tickets on like a Thursday. And just drove up. And that was really exciting for me because I had never done something spontaneous like that for a Pearl Jam show. So I was really, really excited. I had already had the tickets for both Brooklyn Nights and the Hartford Night. And the Brooklyn Nights, I had kind of a loose plan that I, I had only gotten a solo seat for night one. And then I was going to bring, as I mentioned before, a long time friend of mine to night two 
that was a Pearl Jam fan way, way back when, very influential into me getting into Pearl Jam very, very early on. And going by myself, it's not, it's something I did in Buffalo. I, I, I had done it before and it's just interesting kind of revisiting all that because as the idea goes and talking to you who I've seen a show with, and I'm going to see a couple more with very, very soon that you kind of lose a little bit of the memory if you don't have anybody to share it with. And I can't tell you a whole lot of what went down outside of I got off work. I drove to Brooklyn. I don't remember where I got a bite to eat. I don't think I went for merch that day. I think I just kind of got in, went in and went to the seat and ready to enjoy the show. Like very simple. Now I, I do have a story for afterwards that I remember very, very fondly. It's about parking situation. It's also a little bit about what happened after the show and who I spoke to and everything like that. It's, you know, little, little details, but now I think before we get into the set list and stuff, this is kind of interesting. We never really tapped into the business side of Pearl Jam before, maybe little bits here, here and there, but we're going to talk to Fred Mangione right now who was running the show. He was the COO of the Brooklyn Nets and the Barclays Center back when the Nets had just moved and the arena had just been built. This is about a year after all of that. So had some really good questions for him. He, again, he's a really big Pearl Jam fan, so I think you guys are going to enjoy what he has to say and hopefully get a little bit of insight as to what goes on in the backstage a little bit. So here's Fred. You're a pretty big Pearl Jam fan yourself, if I understand, right? I am. I am. And, you know, we we had Barclays Center open about uh, just a few months at this point. And, you know, you get to the point, you open up a new building. We're in Brooklyn. So the obvious pull was Jay-Z played eight nights to open up the building. Then we had Barbara Streisand play and open up the building because she's from Brooklyn. She was on the couch. We got her to kind of come off for a couple of days and come into Brooklyn and play two nights, which was so we had this whole platform of, of Brooklyn artists just to open, which normal people do. But then as you get into the grind of starting to book your building, what are the hot acts? What's going on? Pearl Jam was doing one of their just a couple. They weren't on a major tour at that point. And look, we all know if you're here in New York and me being a fan first, I've seen them from Randall's Island, the PNC Bank Art Center, you know, out to Jones Beach to Prudential Center. But their mainstay in New York is the Garden. And you know, they've always been vocal about it. So I went to our programmer at one point. I go, you know, and it became a running joke. I'm like, we need to get PJ. Like, how do we get Pearl Jam? And there's a gentleman, um, Sean Sade. He's actually the executive vice president at Prudential Center now, but he opened up Barclays with us. And it was kind of on the list, but kind of knew it was a long shot. And I won't name names, but there were programmers and higher ups around the industry who were blocking certain artists leaving the garden and play in Brooklyn. So I knew just internally, it was probably a long shot. And one day he made a joke. He texted me very, very early. He goes, I may have something that's going to make your day. So it was a running joke. It was more about me personally, like loving the band than just being good for business. And look, when you open up a new building, it is very, very important that you have every type of demo coming in. 
So you have you have Jay Z with hip hop, you have Barbara Streisand with her older demo, and Pearl Jam now is more the forty and fifties of us who've like loved them like in, in you know early nineties when they were hitting. You know the younger generation they have a following, but they have a weird like it's kind of like your night out to go back and relive your youth when they come around. And I still have a certain pocket of friends like that's probably the time we talk the most when we know Pearl Jam's coming around. Sure. And I got a buddy. The last time I saw him, he they played 9-11 two years ago here at the Garden. And we all went like we always do. And, you know, that's the last time. But when they came to Brooklyn, you know, the our ownership group, I, of course, was saying this is one of the best acts we're going to book. It's going to become a hot. And the the owner of the building, he's a real estate mogul in, in um, Brooklyn. His name was Bruce Ratner. His number one goal was to bring sports and entertainment back to Brooklyn since the Dodgers left. And he just work tirelessly smartest man you'll ever meet wanted to get back to the community but candidly he had no idea who pearl jam was but by the time they left he knew who pearl jam was and it was the kind of thing where he literally walked into the vip area after and he goes i don't know what we have to do but you gentlemen have to come back you know they always have a charity they're working on we gave some of our proceeds that night that we made from the show back to those guys and they Very were a little cool. taken back but i will tell you the Fast forward three years after that, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was there, but Pearl Jam has never been back since because it it was kind of such a spectacle that the guys at 34 Penn Plaza were not happy that we got a lot of love with getting them and they didn't. And like I said, there was there was a lot of dealings getting made for it not to happen again. And they haven't played the venue besides the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since these two dates. I remember the whole weekend and I remember when it was booked for Brooklyn. I was very, I was really surprised yeah. because I had been to, I believe the last three or four MSG shows at that point. Yeah. So I was all pumped for them to go back. Cause that's, you know, I grew up a Ranger fan. Like that's my place. I love the garden. And then when it announced for Brooklyn, I hadn't been to the Barclays center yet. I believe it was only up for what, like a year, a little more than a yeah. year. It was just, you, you nailed it. We were just on our year anniversary now we're coming off like the Stones are calling us to do an MTV like live. We did a New Year's Eve show. We always had a New Year's Eve show that was a, a one-off. We had we literally had Coldplay and Jay Z play together on a New Year's Eve show. So we were doing really. We had Elton John. So our goal was how can we find an artist who we would say was on the couch that we could get him to come off the couch and play. And we actually went out. You know, the owner was like, "How do we get Pearl Jam?" I'm like. That's not what they do, but we tried, but we got, <laughs> we got shot down quickly, but we were trying to get them for, for new years at one point. So it, it was a very, very big deal. And I just think our own, look, when you, when you own a building and you do all of a sudden they come in and look, they always price the tickets, right? Now they're in New York at it. They, the show kind of popped up out of the blue and like hundred hour tickets are going for like 500. Our ownership groups getting called in, you know, the owner one day was, I've got more calls about Pearl Jam. Like, Besides the opening night with Jay-Z, this is the second most show I've been called about. So to your point, we're just about a year in. And when you open up the building, you want to make sure you don't lose your luster. So what are you doing? And all of a sudden you come back with Pearl Jam and somebody and it's like, whoa. And it just took the market by storm. And look, the one thing you want to do as a building is you want to get new blood in there. So now you got a whole this Pearl Jam base who's coming in. And because to your point, it's a weekend, you know, you get people travel and follow them. So now you're showing your building off to a whole new, and that's really your goal at the end of the day when you're booking acts. Like, look, everyone's been to the garden, but 
this is about 10 years ago. Everyone wasn't at Barclays at this point. So I'm like, look, I'm excited this band's here. But at that point, we were trying to get country acts to come in more hip hop. You know, it seemed like an easy connectivity because you're in Brooklyn. So hip hop would be the easy one. But we were also trying to get a lot of the, you know, we were one of the first acts to book Mumford and Son and books, like, you know, acts like that who weren't breaking yet. The National, I remember the Booker book. I'm like, who are these guys? We put the show up and it sold out right away. So we were getting the indie you know, pockets of bands as well that the garden wasn't doing yet. But again, it just, it changed the dynamic. And, you know, I tell a funny story because, you know, again, they just walk on stage and they play, right? So there was no, they played, they, the back of the house was open. So we sold 360 around. And at the time we then went out with a press release because it was the most attended event we had because with Jay-Z and everyone, they got all the stage and this and that and videos. So we sold every seat you could in a place. So I, I get a funny story two years later. So the box office knows my my love of the band. So I'm in, Bruce Springsteen comes in. And Bruce Springsteen plays the same way. You know, he doesn't have any videos up. He doesn't. And I walk through the box office late during the first Bruce show. And the box office guy goes, oh, they came close to your record tonight. Because Pearl, I used to say, no one's breaking Pearl Jam's record. They're going to have the most seats and one of Bruce's guys hears him goes, what are you talking about? They're like, well, Pearl Jam, they go, you missed it by 22 seats tonight. So lo and behold, when he played the following night, he released every single, every like obstructed seat. They did ADA, they did whatever, and they ended up selling like eight more seats. So they're like, we saw the Pearl Jam press release. So we literally went out with a release. And then Bruce Springsteen was, you know, again, this was like 2017. So I'm sure by now someone else broke it. But it was just funny that even like, just you know their your competitiveness comes out and they just heard us say you know pearl jams <laughs> pearl jam has the record and the next night they broke the record so it's funny it's very cool it kind of the way that you're talking about it it feels like pearl jam literally came into your home and played yeah because yeah. you were there you were there putting everything together and you well, were doing the thing it's so, funny you say that one of our not to interrupt you but one of our taglines was our home, you know, our suites, we called them brownstones. Like we themed them to the neighborhood. Sure. And yeah. we used to say it's your home away from home. So to your point, you know, and look, we felt that way, you know, cause it was so new now, you know, unfortunately the building I, I feel has just become another building these days. But when we opened that place, we made a lot of noise in the market. You know, we told the Knicks we're going to be better than them. We told the garden we were going to out, you know, we, we pulled a lot of WWE and a lot of acts from the garden. We were on a little bit of a roll and look, we were the new game in town. So people gave us a look, but I always said, if, if you just give us a chance, we're going to keep you. And we took SummerSlam from Staples. We just did a lot of things where we got creative on our toes and, you know, it paid off because booking a building, it, it, it's hard and in our market. I mean, UBS wasn't even up yet. You know, we actually went out and we bought, we bought the Nassau Coliseum a couple of years later because we wanted to really get into the, we had Webster Hall in New York City, we had Barclays. And then, so we kind of said we were going to really have acts go through our system. So like eventually you get to the big house of Barclays and um, these were all kind of tricks of the trade to try to get that done. What was your personal intake during the shows? Because you get to night one, and like everything is starting to come about and yeah. like, where were you? Where'd you want to sit? Like, what was your intake? Well, that, well, not just night one, but both shows. Oh, that's another funny story. So the booker, Sean Sade, who, like I said, he's now the EVP at Prudential Center. 
he's in the, you know, you know, you're entertaining all the time. So he has other promoters there. It's Pearl Jam. He's getting calls. So a lot of higher ups from Live Nation were in the building that night. So there's always a spot in the side of the stage. But I never forget, and I still joke with her for this. So the gal who ran public relations for the building, as you know, you put the press in the pit. They get five minutes to sit in the pit and take pictures. It's like the right. first two or three songs. Yep. And look, I've been very lucky in my career. I've been in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, the entertainment side. So I've seen a lot of cool things. But even when you think it's cool, you can't be a fan. So I had seats. I had some friends coming in. I was going to work and then I was going to take off my tie and my suit and I was going to go enjoy it. And I'll never forget the PR girl called me and she goes, can you come by section whatever? I got a quick question before the show. And when I went down there, the PR team was there. They're like, you're having this moment. They basically like threw me in the pit. And Ed, Ed walks out with his bottle of wine. You see him just look down on the floor. They go right into release. And it was one of the, like, I literally have a picture where he's, it literally looks like he's standing in front of me. And I had people in the building going, oh, you got a good seat tonight because people saw me. And then I walked out. I just went to the seat. But, and I don't think in my 28 year career in this business I've ever, but that was, they were all like, you take advantage. Then I ended up sitting in the in the crowd for most of the first first night because I had some seats with some friends. And then um, the second night, again, our promoter and some Live Nation people were sitting on the side. And, you know, the guy who booked it said, you're coming with me and you're, you know, you're sitting, you're sitting on the side with me. So I, I, I got to really enjoy both of those nights, which was a lot of fun. I'm curious because I wonder from the people that are on the business side that aren't necessarily like you, that might not be Pearl Jam fans, know them from their heyday in the 90s and everything like that. They're watching the show. They're obviously in whatever suite they are watching the show. Yeah. Do they understand how, especially night two, because night two goes down as one of the best that has ever happened in New York, in my opinion. Do they understand like what they're witnessing here and how great this event is and how all the crowd is gathered together, like singing along and on and on and on? I think they got it once they were there. And to your point, the buzz of it. Now, I'm not going to tell you everyone worked both nights like I happen to work both nights because usually you don't work and, you know, certain. But um, the buzz of New York, the buzz of the building, just like, you know, you've been to obviously a, a ton of shows like you have. Look, there's always a euphoria before a band comes on, but it's just different with them because you don't know what's coming at you. You don't know how long they're going. You know, the set list is. And I'm trying to just explain little things like. You're not going to hear the two same songs. That's why people are going to come back. And people are like, they got that much. And we have a younger crowd. We have a younger generation of of just people working for us at that point. It's people in their late 20s, early 30s where like they've heard of them. And like maybe they know Alive or Jeremy or some of this stuff that's still. But when they got there, they're like, oh, my God. That literally was like, so our our like executive meeting on Monday, like literally the first 20 minutes just talking about Pearl Jam. And then like it was a running joke because our owners like then crushing our booker like how are we getting them back (laughs) so we fast forward and you know sean moves on he goes to prudential we end up hiring a a gentleman by the name of keith sheldon he's now the president of entertainment for hard rock um casinos across the country he books every every hard rock and he calls me one day goes hey i got a meeting in the city are you available at three o'clock and i'm like no you know i'm in brooklyn it was always moving around and he's like well i just figured you'd want to join me I'm meeting Kelly Curtis at four o'clock. I'm like, I will be there. So (laughs) I dropped everything. He's like, I'm gonna, cause he had a different relationship. He's like, I'm going to pitch getting these guys back here. So I take the meeting with him. 
Kelly's there with a couple people. He likes Sean. He goes, look, the guy's still raved about the act, but there's a pressure to keep playing the garden. So there's a story that never broke out there. The, this guy, Keith, who's just amazing at what he does, he he gets them and he books a night. He's like, we're going to get them. So it's under the radar. We're going to make a, a quick announcement. Like the tickets are booked. The tickets are priced. Everything's ready to go. The morning we're supposed to go on sale. I get a call from our box office. He's like, I got bad news. He's like, I was just told to take the show down. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, they're going to pull the show. And I go, oh. did MSG get to them? He goes, that's the rumor. And there'll be some names that I won't name, but you could probably figure out who then told them. If you remember, there was a show on HBO um, about a touring act and stuff. And Kelly was very involved. It was a Showtime show a couple of years ago. And I'm forgetting that some of the actors naming it, but um, Kelly needed the garden for some stuff for some shooting of the pilot. So just mm. put two and two together and one hand watches the other. And before you know it, we lost the show. And like I said, next to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they've never been back. I left Barclays in 2017. And ironically, the last event I ever worked was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So when That's I quit cool. and I said that everyone said, and I got a call two days before my last day. Now I'm, I'm, you know, I just accepted a job with the New York Jets. I'm getting ready to leave. I've, I've been with the Nets for 18. I'm going 18 years. I'm going through a lot of emotions. I, obviously I'm excited about Pearl Jam getting nominated. I get a call from the building and they're like, we need you to come here at two o'clock today. I'm like, I'm really busy. They're like, be here at two o'clock today. So I walk in the building. They make me check in and I'm kind of like, I'm the COO of the building. Well, what are you guys? They took my phone and they took everything. They're like, they put me second row and I watched that. I watched Pearl Jam do their their warm up for what they were going to do. And I just sat there with 30 people and everyone kind of said, they the building literally got clearance from their team and said, this guy, like, we're going to take his phone, but it'll mean the world to him. He's given his blood, sweat and tears for this building. And I sat second row and I saw them do the warm up stuff for what they were going to do. And I, it was awesome. still, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I was, I was just watching them play in a, a, an arena with about 20 people just sitting there watching besides, you know, his staff. I, I'm curious with that. Do you notice like Dave Cruz in there and Dave Cruz in, yeah, you know, sure. for the first time in a very yeah. long time yeah. getting to play with these guys, like yeah, that must've you know, been they, really special. They moved them in and out, you know, they, and it was funny. I didn't catch up. I didn't catch on at first because as, like you said, they, they brought some of the old guard back. They didn't have everyone there for that, but right. when they did it that night, like they were one, and I'm not just saying it cause I'm a little biased, you know, when you see some of these bands, when they don't bring the originals back and, you know, but they were very, and you know, they, there's a, a set, it's probably one of the best, but they play better man, like during their set and that performance I will put up and, you know, they start because before they let Boom do his thing with the organ and they go into a whole sol soliloquy of he should have been in too. And the place just yeah. goes nuts because, you know, he missed the timing. But that rendition of Better Man and the way he gets to like, it's it's off the charts. I probably still listen to that at least once a month where I just go back and because that it, they just go on and on and it's one of those although he stretches the song out you don't want it to end it was so sure. so good that night it was so good speaking of performances from the 2013 shows are there any that stand out to you that you will go back to the set list on the second night of barclays was just insane but i still that first night because of what it meant for the building even though we had jay-z we had the rolling i mean i could give you wax you be like and I, I i'm almost like a, i was like 14 months later, I'm like, we've arrived. Like, yeah. you're ne I, and I kept saying, I'm like, we may never get these guys back. And they were very complimentary to the building. There's a VIP 
space we have for the bands to like go after if they want to outside of their dressing rooms and and Jeff and a couple only three of the guys came down and they had but our owner went back there they did it you know Ed kind of got out of dodge because he had something else going on that night but you know he's in New York and everyone's pulling at these guys right but um you know like I said it's a shame they never went back but it, again what they've done and you know you hear the infamous stories I mean it's on the side of MSG when you go to the building Yep. of eddie's quote like it's mm-hmm. gonna i mean i was nothing until you play the garden yeah. which is i was a misquote because it, you yeah. ain't shit until yeah. you play the garden yeah yeah i was i was six row that night and he was right that place was shaken of course you excited for the new record yeah i am i am and yeah. you know my brother lives out in la and he knows matt pinfield and a couple guys so he'll, he'll he'll get tipped off sometimes so he had he had a he had like a rough track of you know the the first the first cut off the album and i'm like this this sounds heavier it sounds like a little more verses like sure. so far of what i've heard and so again whenever but they're saying it's not just like another album coming out where you sometimes you got to go a little bit deeper to find it like it's one of those like you know 10 top to bottom you're going to go through it and you're going to be like there's not there's not one song off on this one so i'm really excited about it same here yeah can't yeah. wait to get to that point well, thank you so much for joining today. Yeah, uh, really look, appreciate Randy, the stories. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun, and um, hopefully we catch a show soon. I'll I'll be at the second Garden Night, and I'll yeah. be at the first Fenway Night. So <laughs> anything outside of that, just let me know. I'll uh, I'll let you know where I'm going to be. We'll be in touch. And thanks to Steve for connecting us. It was a lot. Absolutely. of Absolutely, thanks, Steve Bennett. Once again, thank you so much, Fred. That was great. It was great talking to you. That's all invaluable information. And again, like it just a big thank you goes out to Steve Bennett, who helped hook us up and actually had recommended him. He was on Steve's podcast, Sportscasters. You can look for that and subscribe to that on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever. He was on it a couple months ago, I believe, and talked a little bit more about his full career and focused on Pearl Jam a little bit. So once again, thank you, everybody who was involved in helping this out. And huge thanks to Fred for for coming on and doing this. All right, buddy. Hey, are you ready to talk a little bit about some songs on a show right here? I'm ready. So... As we kind of know for 2013, it being the Lightning Bolt Tour and this being, I believe, the fifth show because they did Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and then they did the two in Worcester as well. So this is the fifth. And a lot of these songs are getting tossed around for maybe the third or fourth time from that record. And we're going to get eight songs from the record today. So, of course, within the openers, this is what happens every single night. You get a version of Pendulum opening your show. I think this was kind of like a weird year for all of us fans because I, I don't think we started to realize after the, like you said, we started to get show number five and show number six where like, wow, this is going to be the opener maybe for the next couple of years. But I just really like this song and the way that it's executed and performed is it's just so dark. I, I always think of like, I don't know, like a scary movie when you like kind of like listen to the song, but this version is pretty good too. But I can still notice what you were saying before that since these songs are new, maybe a little bit more like feeling more comfortable with the song being played live. It's neither for these guys. It's for me, so not there yet. It's still though a pretty good version though. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, the crowd responds on that big, easy left me a long time ago line. 
And yeah. that's a good response. And Ed goes for it there. Ed has a really good vocal show here. His yeah, voice I, is yeah, really, yeah. really good on some songs. Yeah, I agree. Like at the end, you can hear the wear, but yeah, I mean, he was on top notch. I think for Pendulum, it's about the repetition. And I think I always kind of say that you're as good as your last tours bootleg series. And once people got the idea that Pendulum was going to open every night and got to hear it, not just on the bootleg, but the shows that they went to and kind of took it in outside of the show that they saw, they got familiarized with it. And then the band got more comfortable with it. But yeah, this is only the fourth performance of Pendulum. And they're showing that it can be a very dynamic song to get the crowd to respond to anything on this that really isn't a traditional Pearl Jam style at all. I think it's a good sign, of course. And we know from the St. Paul version that happened this year where they opened with it that the crowd was really, really into that. So that's all how it evolved. And one of the songs was Staying Power off this record as well. Yeah, I think you also nailed it when you said, like, this is not the Pearl Jam song that you will kind of, like, expect to, that the fans will get so involved with it. But, yeah, I think it started to grow pretty fast among the, the crowd. And, yeah, like you were saying before, too, like, that the crowd response is pretty, you can hear it in the book pretty loud. Like, they were, they were getting into the song very quickly. Now, you got release in Small Town that's going to follow up on that opening three that they were doing just about every night. There's something that you really, really loved going from Pendulum into release, and I love it as well. But this was something you specifically brought up. That transition in between Pendulum and release is so smooth. It's like meant to be. It's kind of like the, the room lights up. As soon as you hear that D chord played by Stone, it's kind of like you get that big breath of air and just I feel that the mood completely changes right away and it's kind of like the first sign of like okay you're in a pro jam show right now transition work well was Matt kind of doing the repetitive ride cymbal hit on that because it made it kind of pop a little bit and sometimes release that's on the more downtrodden like this was a powerful version of release it's one of the best moments from this night 
and sometimes when you get more of like a positive perspective on the song like matt will add a little pep into that and i think that helped go from transition into something kind of dark and a little bit gloomy into something that was going to get you excited to be there as you said to make you feel like you're at the pearl jam show do you want a statistic that's pretty insane you guys are the expert on stats. I'm not. So, yes. <laughs> okay. Feed me so up. <laughs> re- releases the number two song on the night. Yep. Now, this is the first time ever that release was the number two song in any set. First time ever. Wow. Now, okay. as the non-opener in a main set, because you have to remember there's a show like Bonnaroo in 2008 where they played this in non-core. I believe there's maybe one other show in between then and this show where release was played non-core as well. This is the first time that it didn't open a show being played in the main set since Munich of 1992, 21 years ago to this day. <laughs> that's, that's that's badass. I mean, it, yeah. I, and you I know wonder... what Munich 92 was? Uh, I do not. They played 10 in full that night. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> there you go. That's good reasoning not to open with release. Right. Well, I guess they didn't have many more songs at that point. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but yeah, that's a cool stat. I mean, again, it's just like, I don't know. I think it works so well. But yeah, I guess now not, not that you mentioned that you always associate release with like being the first song. You always like you will place it there. It's kind of like so rare to hear it in a different spot. I remember when we did that Bonner show, it lasted from that Munich show all the way up until that point where it was only the opener. So like, right. that's, yeah, that's, that's saying a whole lot. And this version, man, Stone is absolutely hypnotizing and Ed is just delivering. He's powerful. It's the emotional punch, the power punch, and they're absolutely locked in. This is really, really fantastic version of the release here. into small town small town being the anthemic song the sing-along the crowd of course being a big city crowd is going to be really really into it you get everything that you pay for with these first three 100 and listening to this version of small town and you listen to the crowd take the hearts and thoughts they fade at the end and take it by themselves you ever listen to a bootleg and you're like hmm Really? I was a part of that? I helped that? I did that? And you're kind of, hey, that sounded really good. I'm proud of myself for for taking some of the vocals on that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Plano Times. You were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we did that. And actually, it sounds pretty good. But yeah, the crowd was amazing on this, like taking the the vocals at the end. They were very responsive, like quickly on. And, and that's something that as a fan, I think, even though that like you're listening to, in our case, just to talk about the show. But like if, if you're a casual fan, if you like want to grab one of these shows, I guess that that's what you would like to hear. You're like, okay, I'm into this. I can listen to these guys more live. I say that every day. I can listen to these guys more live. That's why I bought six tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we're traveling all over the place to see them. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, let's get into the next section here. This is where the rockers kick in. You're going to go lightning bolt, corduroy, minor manners. That was pretty standard for that little section following the opening three at the time. What stood out to you here? I thought that lightning bolt from the very, very beginning was winning over crowds, and you can hear... I'll go back to that Wrigley version where they debuted the song. I went back to my hotel and I YouTubed it and I listened to it on a loop before I went to bed that night and then woke up and listened to it about like five more times that morning. I was so impressed by it. And you could tell that that song feels massive. Yeah, it's just, it's a song for a big arena. You know, it's like it's catchy, it's poppy, has that rock anthem spirit in it's just a good song. It's such a good song to be played live, and it has that punch. It's, it's such a simple song, but people can sing along very quickly. It has a great message, too, as well. But I really like this version because I think it has a lot of punch. I don't know if you noticed this, Randy, but like in this tour, they're not playing like super distorted. I don't know if you noticed that. Like Their sound is a little cleaner than usual, but I think that adds so much more clarity and melody to this kind of song so i think whatever setup that we're using around that time i think if it's perfectly fine for this kind of song or like swallowed whole like songs that they have a little bit more like happy chords kind of like da's and stuff like that but yeah i think it's just a song that it just like it kicks in and it punches and it's happy and it's a rock arena anthem and and people dig it and i would love to hear it again i don't know if we're gonna get it again but i would love to hear it again for sure it's a, it's a tough one yeah because that's that's hard on ed's voice the last time they did it he was shot and could not yeah. do it at all so i get where you're coming from look you're you're that guy you're the guy that notices that kind of thing i'm the guy that notices the stats and the stories so I trust you, but I also get the sense that the Lightning Bolt record as a whole is a much cleaner record in terms of sound overall. You have songs that aren't necessarily distorted outside of like Mind Your Matters that's complete distortion. Like Yeah, most yeah, of absolutely. these songs just feel clean. Now, let's dig in Corduroy Mind Your Matters because Corduroy felt massive. Like following Lightning Bolt and going into Corduroy, you're building that up. You're building that tension high. And Corduroy, of course, is going to be the first big rocker that your crowd is going to be like, yes, we came here tonight to wait for this one. And it's interesting because I know that at some shows on this tour, they would do these three, but maybe they would be in a different order where it would be Minor Manners into Lightning Bolt into Corduroy. But Minor Manners following up on Corduroy you would think, and if they did that nowadays, it would kind of make Minor Matters an afterthought. But I think because it's so early on and feels so fresh being the first single and really being a different sound for Pearl Jam, even though the record didn't sound like Minor Matters at all, I think people were still really, really into it and wanted to hear it that 
it just kind of kept the momentum going after Corduroy. Corduroy could have obliterated that song, but it had its its feet to stand on and sounded very, very good. So, for example, you were mentioning that about, like, how would it be if we have Mind Your Manners right now after Corduroy? Like, I was thinking St. Paul Night One, for example. I totally get that because it will be like, oh, Corduroy, it's a sing-along anthem, and then, like, Mind Your Manners, you're kind of like, oh... <laughs> what, what, what happened would like the wave continue to go up but in this case they feed up of each other because like you said it's such a fresh tune that people are continue to ride that wave in excitement because they want to listen to new stuff too so I think the combo worked pretty well too I, I wonder I wonder how many times they have flipped back and forth those three or how many times they have played them in the same order maybe that's something that they noticed that really worked with the crowd I, th I think it was often because I kind of remember I think they did the same three around each other at least at Hartford I remember I, I think a couple of shows in this run definitely had some amalgamation of this at the very very beginning of the set and it worked and it worked really really well so now let's hear from Ed of course after Minor Matters this was kind of the, the quote of the tour if you want to say <laughs> we're yeah. telling you to mind your manners but where's our manners good evening Brooklyn we're glad that you can make it here on a Friday night we've been looking forward to this one so thanks to everybody that built this building and the one guy that we know is Jay-Z so thanks Jay-Z we got 99 problems but a place to play ain't one we're just going to keep moving here and then we get four in a row And it's very interesting because we're about to kind of dive into even flow territory. There's no even flow with this show. They held it off for night two and for very good reason. That's a killer even flow on night two with an incredible Cameron solo. We get all in a row here. Dissident, Why Go, Swallowed Hole, and I Am Mine. And it does feel like Dissident and Why Go are trying to fill the void of what you lose from Evenflow, give you two big mic moments. It's interesting because I think it's kind of going back to the whole lightning bolt thing. You got to spread the songs out and they do seven of the eight that they do on this night are in the main set. And now you think back to kind of what a set list looks like now and swallowed whole kind of in the middle of dissonant why go I am mine maybe you're like that is a little weird that's a little strange like how does that work with momentum we can get in the swallowed hole in, in a second or two but yeah I, i think the whole thing was working i think the whole thing was working and sounded good i think that once you kind of hit a certain point in the main set it does feel like you did miss a staple kind of moment but as far as the performances go These were good. What do you want to talk about in this whole thing? So for Dissident, like I was telling you before, I thought that it was such a good version, very close to the original one, especially the intro. And Mike had to like really dig deep at the end because he started to play like a lot of different tricks that they're not very common to hear in the song. I really like it because I think sometimes when like, the more you pace up the solo, maybe they're going to get more speed that they don't need into the song. But for Dissident, I, I think it was like a really good version Like because I really like the original one. So I think for me, that kind of like hit home. For Why Go, like it's kind of, I don't know, but like you said, like this is the even flow spot, like give me my even flow, but Why Go works. Although 
as I was telling you before, I wonder if Jeff was not playing the 12 string bass or maybe the mix that he had over his amp this night or like for the first run of the tour because they did change a lot of stuff going around and getting deeper into the tour when it comes to sound. If you start to listen to the first couple of boots till the end, you can hear a difference when it comes to that. I was trying to find something like a visual confirmation of this. I couldn't, but I, I don't think he had the 12 string on. I, I don't know. I, I think really it loses. Yeah, I think it loses that brightness. I think it like this. The bass sounds more dark than usual, and I'm like, this is weird. Like, there's no that ringing that that 12 string has for him when he plays a song or when he plays deep that you can really hear it, like punch it in your face. But yeah, really cool versions too. But going back also to Swallow Hole, it, it, it just works. Maybe, maybe I'm just wondering, maybe because the songs vocally are very demanding for Ed, maybe that song was the song that it was going to give him a little bit of a break. Maybe that was placed there. I don't think that Swallowed Hole was a break song at all because he packs a punch on that. Like, this song didn't really turn into much live. And I sometimes get the sense of, okay, we talk about it sometimes where it's like the attempt to do Unthought Known again and it didn't quite hit. But honestly, play it like this and showcase it and it just doesn't have the crowd call and response as much as Unthought Known does, but they were trying to make a point with this song. They had only played it at two other shows to this point. And overall, it would be played 15 times. So they kind of realized that maybe this wasn't quite the one from the record. But you play it like this and you give it more of a spotlight, maybe. And maybe that was the reason why they had a tough time finding a spotlight for it. But this version is one of the best and better ones that is out there, to be honest with you. Because it does feel like you can hear the intensity coming out of Ed's voice. Yeah. Now that you're saying that, it makes me completely rethink what I said. But yeah, I think you're totally right. But I always wonder why they didn't want to maybe make it longer jam. I don't know. Like like you said, it's just the song that is from the record. And maybe they were keep trying to find something different that it was going to make them rediscover the song. Or maybe they would try to play in a different way to make it more like a live song for them. But apparently didn't work because it only has been played 15 times overall right yeah yeah it could be that yeah it's it's really tough because i think kind of what you're still feeling out at this point is where do we place these puzzle pieces and you don't have even flow so you know a normal thing after even flow is probably i am mine so if you right here, yeah swallowed holes not in the center or at least somewhere else it's just a weird dynamic because if you try to put it in other places, you're like, well, that is usually a place where we want this song that gets more of a crowd reaction. And I think that's kind of the reason why when you go through tour years for specific albums, that some songs are just kind of left in the dust and not talked about, like Never Destination and take the long way from Gigaton. I don't know what those songs are going to be from Dark Matter, obviously, because we only have one song, and it seems like that one's going to hold up pretty well live at this point. But it's just a lot of unknown and uncertainty and figuring out on the fly. And then once you kind of do figure out, 
then it sort of readjusts the set to where you want it to be at that point. So I Am Mine finishes out this section. It's very punchy. It's very, very riffy and has a good drive to it. And they were really in like go mode at the time. And I think I Am Mine is kind of important when getting into the next speech for Ed. So Ed says, we're going to send the last one out to New Jersey, which New Jersey, it's going to get some booze. You've been through a lot in the last year, through the hurricane and the fire. We've been thinking about you then, and we're thinking about you now. This next one is for Harper and Olivia, and it's kind of insinuating because it's infallible that it's about their future, as kind of what we talked about last week with that performance. It was kind of due to, hey, talking a little bit about climate change and everything like that. So infallible and given a fly are back-to-back here infallible is not a mess at this show like it was last week that just needed to hit the abort button but yes we yes, can yes, kind yes. of got we can right. kind of now look at your point that you had with a version that's more traditional for this and see what went right yeah so last time it was kind of weird because they were playing it half step down boom was still playing <laughs> the, whatever the original key is it doesn't play on A minor, but I think this song creates a sense of urgency, especially like Ed has been so vocal about the importance of this song to people that they have a lot of meaning for him and like what he wanted to transmit. I think when he wrote this song, he wanted to transmit a message that it was a very powerful kind of testament to whatever generation was coming after him. And I love the sense of urgency that is created at the beginning where just basically Mike is following Matt in the like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Sounds kind of like the taking of Daryl Logan or whatever scary movie is when they, they get possessed. But anyways, it's, it creates that sense of urgency that is so important because it just creates the pace and Stone doesn't have to do much on the other side, but what he does is a perfect fit to whatever the other players are doing because Jeff is doing his own thing. He's just playing the rhythm of the drum kick but not contributing to that urgency that Mike and Matt are creating and then this really cool transition towards the chorus where the song opens up and you hear all those open chords and becomes like a very, very enjoyable kind of like big arena song, I will say. I don't know if you agree with me on that one but I feel that the, the chorus of that song is kind of like a sing-along kind of thing. It, it, it was not a sing-along as we know, but I, I, when I heard it for the first time live, I thought this is kind of like a big arena song chorus-wise, just for that part only. It's definitely a catchy chorus, I'll give it that, but it's it's really it's tough for me to say it's an arena song in that exact term, because I've never really had that kind of attachment and I never, back then especially, when they were really starting up with it live it was just one of those songs that just didn't quite hit with me and over time you kind of think that and it's happened with a lot of songs where i've gone back and been like okay that might not have been for me back in this year but now i can see it and i still listen to infallible and still i I get the the message of the song is great but i still don't feel the same way that others might on this it's just a little bit too i guess a little bit too spacey and a little bit too open and maybe even just a little bit too dark and kind of i don't know it just never really 
attached to me. So, yeah. Given a fly follows that up, it's very speedy, very Cameron driven, and just kind of with the last six here, when you don't have even flow and everybody begs for a no even flow show, that's how you know you're going to have a good show, no even flow show, or a special show. But when you don't have it, it almost feels directionless at times. You know what I mean? Like, hey, yeah. we're missing something here. Because even flow is your sign of the mid part. This is the checkpoint. Everything else after this is going to take you to the end of the set, a big moment there, and then start the encore. Like that's, it's just traditional and it's just expected. But I think whenever even flow is not in a set and everybody wants it, it's kind of like, oh, well, where the hell did even flow go? You know what I mean? Yeah. No faces were melted too. We're expecting that big mic moment too. Well, we that get was it. Why, why, why go? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You're totally right. right about that. But yeah. I don't think it's why go. I think it's coming up right in a minute or so, but that seemed to be very much an un unexpected moment because the next little section going from sirens to eruption, then after eruption, they're going to get in the spin the block circle. Sirens has a false start in the beginning due Ugh. to a malfunction with the 12 string. How difficult is that? Like when you're in that spot, like what did you hear that went wrong? <laughs> well, if you're in the spot, I don't want to be the guitar tech, first of all. Uh <laughs> pun intended. Sorry, I had to. I don't know, man. Like <sighs> the song sounds great, but we know that Ed is a heavy player. Like he's gonna hit the strings. My theory is it's a 12 string guitar. He only uses it for like in a specific part of the end, right? But the capo was set up right. I don't. I don't think with the, the experience people that they work with these guys. Like I don't think that somebody's just gonna miss that. I think Ed just hits the strings way too hard. You know, like he it's that's out of tune. Right, right, and, and especially because the capo, like capos are super fussy too. Like to be honest, like sometimes if you tie them up too much, the tuning is completely screwed up. Sometimes, like some like more purist guitar players are going to be like, nope, it needs to be in a certain angle, otherwise the ring of the string is not going to be the same. And I'm like, ah, uh, whatever. But sure, it's just I think he just like it plays so hard with the right hand and that's the signature sound that's what we like what we hear in an electrical guitar but also when he plays electrical guitars you can see that he destroys strings every single time like nothing right oh, yeah but but i don't know i think he just drums on it and the guitar goes completely off tune and he didn't throw it this time though <laughs> that was no, that thing. that would come later in the tour. Yeah, so there there are two different issues with the twelve string. There's one in the beginning, and it sounds like Mike, I, I guess, can't function it or something like that, or yeah. has like a screwy chord, whatever it was. And then after that, Ed would mention he's like, "Oh, well, that one was really close to making it on the new record, but it'll be out as a B side in February on a record called Pearl Jam's Greatest Misses." So <laughs> you know, making little. <laughs> little joke here and there with that but yeah as you mentioned ed when it transitions where mike picks up the electric and it's ed's turn to go back to that rhythm for the 12 string it does knock out a tune and this would be 
kind of one of the malfunction issues that they would have a little bit more on this tour. And it does lead to the moment that a lot of people know from him just throwing the guitar down, dropping the guitar in Los Angeles. And that kind of led to his tech, Ricky Ramon, who was, I believe, a tech for, for the Ramones, and that's why he's known as Ricky Ramon. He was yes, fired that, that day. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was fired that day. It's interesting because you never see Ed lose his cool, and you never really see him kind of show his hand as to okay, like, I'm gonna, I wanna go figure this out. And that's what he does. He's like, I, I need to go back there and see what happens. And I wonder if he had to chew somebody out, if he had to, if he got into like a yelling match with Ricky Ramon or something like that, because it, it felt strange. It felt strange and it felt like that was kind of a boiling point for the song very, very early on. And the favorable, Thing that you do get from this is the eruption solo afterwards so mike this is the moment where mike is really gonna have a fun time with this and do his best eddie van halen but yeah i i, I don't it's very very rare for ed to address an issue like that mid-show as a fan i was so surprised i don't think i've ever seen him that upset yeah. in a stage i i honestly when i saw the recording i was like wow probably took a lot for him just to get to that point and then just like pointing the guitar down and just dropping it in front of the tech and i'm like oh that's and i'm not criticizing it but it was one of those things where like i don't want to see my heroes doing that you know the eruption solo goes on you know as as great as mike does with that and as flashy as he gets i think that it comes back and things are like okay now we can go back to square one a little bit. The next like four or five songs are really going to feel like they're in motion here, starting with Spin the Black Circle. And yeah, it feels like what felt maybe a little bit like a lull somewhere between Swallowed Hole and Infallible is now starting to pick up. And Spin the Black Circle sounds very good, but also I think you got to transition into what the next package of songs is for this set to really turn into something notable. After Spin, Ed says, the next song was written by a guy that all these guys knew, and I never met him, but I think about him a lot, a lot, a lot, and his name was Andrew Wood. This is one of the rare, rare instances of seeing Chloe Dancer and Crown of Thorns in a main set. We're very used to it being in the encore and being a moment for later in the show and using that emotion for an emotional time. And at the time, you kind of forget about this, but Chloe Dancer was not a common thing until this year hit. The one time they did it that everybody knows about is that Toronto show in 2011. I had always listened to that show because that show I think was free on Apple Music or something like that. So that was a big moment for me and my listening to bootlegs outside of the shows that I, I went to. And they would do it at one other show between the Wrigley show and then now from this point doing the two songs together is the staple and I think 
I'm disappointed that they went all those years and just did the Crown of Thorns because really, to me, you can't do one without the other. Yeah, they're connected now. It will be very strange to hear just Crown of Thorns by itself right now. As you know, that's my unicorn. That's the one that I've been chasing for a long time, so I really hope that I can get that in Seattle. But if not, I'll continue to chase it, and that's okay. Sat- uh, Seattle's a really good chance because you think about I know. all the history. So, I'm, I'm, Yeah, fingers crossed for that. But when we were like talking about like what we're going to do for the show, when I noticed the set list, I was like, okay, this is rare. I wonder what headspace would Ed was when he was writing the set list that he decided to place it in that spot in. What was so special about the place that it made him think about Andy? That's a good question. I, I think you go back to the history of Crown of Thorns and New York City has a really good history of it being played there. It was played in 2003 for the Live at the Garden DVD, then played in 2016. And granted, this would be the in-between of this, but it's still on their minds after this. 2016 played at the Garden. And then 2022 played at the Garden as well, the last show that we had there. I think it's the idea of just this being in front of a big crowd and a New York crowd, like one of the crowds you need to put your A-game up to impress. And I think it's one of those things whenever they do play a kind of show like this, they bust it out because it's like a little tribute to Andy and kind of an idea of what could have been if Mother Love Bone had gotten to the place that Pearl Jam got to. And I think that was always a thing with Andy Wood that he wanted to play on the big stage. So I, I think it was a little bit of that. Yeah, it definitely makes sense to me. And, and it's a great version too. I mean, I think we got lucky because a couple of weeks ago we did another one where Chloe was there too. And it brings so many emotions. Even when I listen to from an external point of view, not me being there at the show like this version that you enjoyed it's just like you you just cannot avoid getting emotional about this you start to think about a lot of what ifs like a lot of what would have happened if he would have been here with us it's inevitable to get that big moment when you hear the song it's just like it's going to happen regardless and i think people are appreciating that so very much right now because they know that it's not going to come over in every single night and every single city that they're going to play in. Whenever you can find it, people are going to just like embrace it so much more and that I think fans are understanding like a deeper meaning of what this song really means for the band, what it means for Ed and what it means for us fans too when, whenever we have the opportunity to listen it to it live. I used to treat you like a lady You're my substitute teacher This bottle's out of pretty, not a pretty side
it that something special is in here. And I think that's what I noticed at this moment. There's not a lot of memories, as I said earlier. There's not a lot of these songs that I like fully remember kind of visually. But I do remember being just elated that they did this. After this, you have four more that's going to close you out in the main set. Save you, let the records play, do the Evolution in Rearview Mirror. I think we have a good conversation for Evolution River Mirror. Save you felt like shot out of cannon right after Crown of Thorns that you needed to pick this crowd up. And Ed felt really, really inspired on this too. He was trying to egg the crowd on and really, really got into it, ripping fast version. And then, you know, records play, this is kind of going to go back to Swallowed Hole, an infallible little bit where you're still trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out where these songs belong. There's going to be 21 songs in this main set. And ideally, when you look at the set and maybe what they would do now, Save You Evolution River Mirror is a phenomenal ending to a set. And Let the Records Play, I get that they're like looking for a placement for it and everything like that, but it does feel like it takes a little bit of a dip when trying to build a momentum. Like, as I mentioned, those three together would have been a red hot ending to get you really excited. And it still was a hot ending. Evolution and Rear Mirror is nothing to write home about. Like, that's something incredible. But records play again, people just didn't have the reps with it, so they didn't really know how to react. Yeah, what I would like to rescue, though, about this version, though, is for this song, for the first time they were trying to use different sounds, I think this song provides a lot of, like, a different perspective or, like, a new, fresh approach when it comes to the sound that they were trying to get to the song. Mike using that MXR carbon copy, like, that is, like, very, very fine-tuned to a slap echo that the guitar sounds like it's, like, running through a kind of metal kind of stuff. And then Stone doing the arpeggio at the intro. I think those are the things that I rescue the most about this version, but when it comes to the flow of the set, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe, maybe even maybe before Save You, maybe you get Save You, Evolution, and RVM at the end, maybe that could have been scorching hot too, you know? Well, they also had the duo right in front of them and spin the black circle and let the records play, and that would right. run into Chloe. Wow, <laughs> now that you mentioned that. I mean, I've, I've built have a stuff too, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. So here's the song we got to talk about. Since you're right here, this is right in front of our face. Evolution in 2013 was the transition for the American crowd to start singing like the South American crowd. And I remember them doing it in Buffalo that way. And I believe Ed was saying South America, South America, South America. And it felt fresh. It felt like a new idea. And I, at the time, didn't listen to any of those South America shows. The Buenos Aires show is one of the best shows that you can ever listen to. That crowd is incredible from 2013. And that is definitely a reason why they brought it into the fold in the U.S. and wanted to get the same response from it. Now, you have a lot of experience being down there for this song. Were you at a show in 2013? Was there a Santiago show that year? Yes, Lula Palooza. Okay. 
Yeah, it, it has started the idea of that show, but people kind of tag along. But then, of course, like they did Buenos Aires and it was like off the reels. Like, Argentinians have a passion for music that is beyond human understanding. I mean, seriously, it's just like, don't get me wrong, dude. Like, we, we give so much crap about soccer and all that stuff but like i mean argentina is a beautiful country and people from argentina are like are, are great hands down but whenever music show that, that you go to that you listen to is a part of the culture when you go to the show that you just gonna hum the songs and you're gonna hum the guitar part you're gonna hum the drums and you're just gonna Oh, 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 they're just singing whatever song is playing. No offense, my North American friends, but I don't think we're close here yet. We'll get there, though. We'll get there, though. <laughs> God, I hope so. Oh, my God. That's the day that I just can drop dead at the Pearl Jam show and feel happy. And Dude, we need, we, need, we need to get the big gang to South American shows. It's a whole thing. It's a whole different thing. I'd be up for it at some point. Yeah. Financially, I don't know. But I would be up for it at some point. <laughs> Let's close this main set out with Rear View Mirror. A very, very cool bridge. We get the will forgive, won't forget line that Ed does. And there's also kind of this extended period that I really, really like before the bass rolls in where Matt just has this free reign to just filthy fill away on that. And it's a barn burner from that point on. Just a barn burner up until the end. Like everything you want out of Rear View Mirror. A very fast-paced, driven bridge nothing airy nothing spacey and then just pulverize you home love it yeah just like straight punch to your heart it's very intense it's very direct like you said it doesn't have a lot of spaciness or like not a lot of like effects going around it's just like pace 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 and again the groove master over that right side of your headphones he's just amazes me when whatever he wants to do something like that that it's just it sounds so simple, but it gives so much value to what the song needs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to take us to the encore break. Pause for station identification and talk about Patreon real quick. Thank you to our great friend Aurelian, who went back up to the Horizon leg tier to help us out. We really, really appreciate it. It's a perfect time to do that where... We just need all this funding for everything, for business sake, for touring sake. And I, I just can't thank him enough. And a big thank you goes out to Brandon Love as well, who joined back in after a couple months of being on the sidelines. We really, really appreciate it, you guys. And we send the message out to all of you out there. 
you're listening to the show, maybe you listen to this weekly, maybe you listen to this once every now and again, but we're still going, we're always going, and we can just use a little bit of support right now. For as low as a dollar a month, support us, help us out, help us with our funding. It is extremely important to us, of course. And then on the other side of it, you get things like, hmm, I don't know, uh, a Gear Garage episode, maybe four that might be out right now, and one that could be worked on about a specific Dark Matter song. Oh, you mean like the substance that is like up in the universe? Perhaps. Maybe. Mm. Maybe that will be on the works. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Well, hopefully we break up that dark matter in the universe and bring everybody closer together by getting a nice little Gear Garage episode there. And look, we're working on evolution episodes. We're almost done with the late night series. It's going to culminate at the end. And the last show that we do for the late night series is actually going to be at the same venue, the Barclays Center. And of course, I'm talking about the Hall of Fame. So that's something to look forward to. We're very, very, very close to the finish line on that. So if these are things that you're interested in, if you're interested in supporting, and again, it's as low as a dollar a month. If you feel that you want to get a request in because episode requests are done through the Giga Leg or Horizon Leg tier, then you can spend $5 a month or $10 a month or join on the yearly tiers as well. That will get you discounts for both of those tiers. And then you help us out big time. Stuff is going to come for the Horizon Leg tier. It's being worked on extra stuff like extra merch and things like that. So hold on to that. But right now is a really, really important time to join. I'll give you the information right here. Patreon.com slash live on four legs. Before you do anything, just look. Just give it a look. Just see what's out there. And maybe you like it. Or maybe you just realize, hey, these guys are doing a really good job. They're researching all their content. They're putting up good conversation every week. They deserve a dollar a month. Maybe you come up with that. Maybe you think that. But hey, we're just asking. Because every week we just ask. And we appreciate everybody that puts back in. So if you do that and realize I can contribute to this, I can help you out, then you can go to patreon.com slash live on four legs, or you can download the Patreon app and search for live on four legs, or you can just go to live on four legs.com, check out our beautiful website, and then hit the become a patron button at the top of any page. And you're there. Simple. Easy as that. All right. Back to the rock. Getting out of this encore break. Everybody's in the stools. It's going to be that you know more relaxed set that we are now accustomed to getting in the beginning of the set. This was starting to become an every night thing in 2013 the most. And Ed's saying right here, all right, we got plenty of wine left. How's your time? We all good? And he gives a little attention to Mike and Stone and says, I heard you had some three to four foot waves on the East Coast. So this here is a number for all the surfers in New York. And that's a one, two, three, four. Hold on to the thread. The currents will share. Ride me towards you. No, something's left. And we're all alive to dream of the 
once I heard that, I freaked the fuck out. This is one of the things that I really remember the most from this show. Because at the time, I'm on like show number 11 or 12, something really early on. And of course, my thought was that, you know, you got all these people that I'm sitting next to that have been to like 60, 70, upwards of 100, that you just meet these people and you're like, fuck, this person saw this song and this song and this song. And you become a chaser for the reason not to just acquire songs because you just want to hear them. You just want to be able to have had that experience. And this was the first time that I had completed an album with Oceans. This was the last one I needed to hear off of 10 and obviously the toughest one for most people. And I would only see it one other time in the near 30 shows that I had been to. So it was a really, really difficult one to get. And I was just elated. I was just so happy to be hearing it and sing along. And I thought that the performance was top notch compared to last week. The last week was down tune a little bit, but this is at the right tuning. Ed is going for it on the choruses and sounds very, very good on the choruses. It's very punchy. It drives. And this is a moment from this night not to forget. This is one of the songs that it doesn't work half step down for me, but I, I agree with you. This is a good good version of this song and it makes me so happy just to, to hear that it was like your your unicorn you were waiting for this one and you you got it on that show too that's that's the most important thing i guess ah uh, to have nothing back then <laughs> and to not know what the future would hold where you know after that point where i'm like yeah someday i'm gonna get brandon J. right and we're sitting here right now you know a fort worth show gone wrong and still waiting <laughs> hey hey it could be in seattle or it could be philly maybe, yeah it could be the east coast my 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 pay a visit to the east coast in september we'll see hey i've i've convinced people that listen to this podcast before that you know if they want to do a little like uh campaign for me then i would be more than happy i'm not going to campaign for myself but <laughs> if people felt indebted to the work we've done on the pod to get brain of jay to be played at a show that i went to then you know i, I won't turn the other way <laughs> I, I think i think we have a really good chance in seattle i think we do they did play it at one of the home shows so yep that's what i was gonna say 2018 i was watching that show a couple of nights ago and i'm like that's that's a really good version by the way fingers are crossed toes are crossed everything is on a wing and a prayer at this point now we got a uh, yellow moon here that's going to follow up. You have a lot to say on this song because we have a pedal to talk about that we have talked about before, but since yellow moon is kind of one of those stuck in the era songs, we've gotten to other songs that use a very similar sound, but we haven't specifically talked about it on yellow moon. So take the wheel with this one. So in 2013, Mike had a complete overhaul of the board so you have the transitioning years or the transition years I w I, as I would like to call them like the 2009 my favorite tour year era if you guys have heard my comments about that sorry I have to mention it gotcha. that's going to be your next show 15 so year have... anniversary of 2009 with Javier I want to call in sick dude anyways but those are transitional years like the major overhaul of this board came on for this tour Something that I remember that I was looking for this, especially when he goes, dee, 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 dee. he makes those parts, right? That was a very unique thing for me. And I remember that I went through a 
trying to figure it out like even just to learn how to play it myself because I always like to love to learn the songs and play them right etc but then when a lot of like footage has started to show up about the shows and I'm like what is that gigantic weird thing standing right next to Mike's board digging and digging and digging this sound that you can hear in Yellow Moon is coming from a pedal that is basically a unicorn that's called the Ludwig Phase 2 synthesizer which it was a complete flop that it was made on 1970 like nobody wanted this because it's bulky it's kind of like a big speaker that you have to be moving around and it was funny because originally it was intended to be a multi-effect thing for players and players completely ignore it but there was a mode there, there was a filter mode that it was a voltage control filter so you have this little pedal that you press on and you can get more voltage and people started to figure it out that you can get kind of like an organ sound or kind of like it's not an organ sound itself it's more like that choir organ sound whenever you get more voltage through the pedal which was absolutely bananas at that time and nobody pay attention to it complete flop but then now this thing fetches like thousands of dollars in mint condition whenever you find it but then i think the utility of the thing it started to get a little difficult for the band and i remember that i think if my memory is right i think for the end of this tour year it was eliminated and that sound was introduced to the pog which basically whenever he plays yellow moon now the pog will be the element to use but i guess they thought that they could make it happen and i guess that they thought that they could make it work just to be traveling with this thing and, and randy will you imagine like a 1970 pedal with the voltage thing and just to figure out that you're not going to burn it <laughs> whenever you use it or if oh wait the voltage is wrong this thing is going to explode kind of thing so yeah, um, with all the pyrotechnics and shit that wasn't i know quite developed in 1970s rock and roll yeah you, you got a couple fire hazards on your stage <laughs> i thought the song was sweet and smooth and beautiful melody <laughs> well it, it pretends to be that but i think it, I, I i made it more intense i made it more entertaining i guess you know what? Like Mike has a kick on it at the end too. It kind of turns into a little bit of a scorcher. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Like you don't realize that at Yellow Moon that like Mike actually gives some juice to it, but sh- and I think it's just because the rest of the band is just still kind of staying within that tempo, and they're like, "Yeah, let's Yellow Moon on the rise," and and Mike goes off, and then it just kind of goes back to normal a little bit. I kind of, I guess is the juxtaposition on how beautiful this sounds so yeah or it might be the voltage of the thing maybe maybe (laughs) got too much maybe got too much juice and it went out of control who knows all right we're gonna get into sleight of hand and just breathe in the second to tee up into that ed's gonna kind of struggle to get through sort of the same story of what we talked about last week with sleight of hand and just the meaning of the song and it's like, at first he's like, ah, I don't know. We'll play it and you'll figure it out. But it's about a guy. You can sum up his old job that he had to work 70, 60 hours a week to put food on the table. But he also had to wear a clip on tie to work. And that illustrates the whole theory of the song. 
And I, I just wonder why he wasn't as open with it at the time. And you go to three years later of last week's show and he seemed very comfortable and, you know, made a joke of him being the clerk and everything like that. And it was fine, but it's interesting. He, I guess he's not quite there yet with sharing the juicy details on how the songwriting goes that he's still a little bit reserved but you do get the idea of what sleight of hand is and it is a memorable moment because of that lead-in and now that's in your head that once you hear some of the lyrics routine was the theme from himself in uniform and all that you're thinking about that oh okay yeah I, I get that. I, I can paint that picture perfectly. It, it's a pretty easy song to understand where the lyrics are going, but now you have that connection to where you can see Ed being that person wearing a clip-on tie. What do you think of the song sonically here? Because it's, it's interesting. You know, At the time, this wasn't a song that really was on my Rolodex too often it being sort of a, a later cut on by Gnarl and that kind of ending at the time wasn't really suited to the songs that I like to hear. And I, I've grown into really liking the song. I do, I do really like it, but also the by recording technique probably is something that for some people, if you don't really have that ear, you can kind of drift away from that a little bit. And I think that you know, I wasn't going back after this version and saying like, wow, I really want to check out this song more. But as time went on, you got to realize, and you listen to more of these versions of this, you got to realize like, oh, okay, this is how this is supposed to be done. This is what they're doing with this. And, you know, I love versions of this where it can really have an intense drive. And sometimes at the end, Mike can really give you a, a big soaring, show-stopping kind of solo. It felt like it could have been here. They just drove with it at the end, but sonically, this is this is a really interesting song. Yeah, when I listen to the studio version, it's so amazing to me just to hear like all the texture, the 3D recording technique that they were trying to use with all the reactors. You you have like all the Atmos stuff, like over streaming services, but for me, the most interesting thing sonically about this song is always the tempo because it's just, it makes it so complex. Seven eights, if you don't get that right, it's, yeah, but, but, but I agree with you. I think like maybe it was building up to a point where you can feel like all that rage at the end of the guitars and it, it just didn't drove that way, but it's very interesting to listen to how they try to play the song in trying to recreate that 3D open space that you, just to reflect whatever was the original recording, but the dynamics of the tempo and the complexity of what the players need to do following the 7-8 that Cameron is doing in the back, that's super cool to listen. I always think that it's a treat whenever you can get it on the set. Red Just Breathe. You guys kind of know the story with this song and how we approach this on the podcast. Now, I'm listening to this, and I'm like, oh, this has got a nice little pace to it. It's going. It feels like they're putting some weight behind it. And then I'm listening more. I'm like, oh, wait a second. This is really fucking deceptive. Where the hell is Jeff? And they <laughs> caught me. They, they almost got me. They almost got me because I was listening to it and it felt really full. And no Jeff. And it took like 
midway through the song where I realized it and I went back to kind of hear where his cue usually is to come in, it's not there. So that's a punt for me. Yeah, no Jeff, no comment, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. You learn very quickly, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to end the main set with this trio right here. Another he, uh, who shall not be named kind of song, especially at shows that I've been to. You get daughter, then you get got some in an encore at shows that I've been to. Okay, we can touch up on that in a second. And then you get porch sanded out with the orbs and everything like that. I thought Ed sounded really, really good on daughter. I haven't heard a passionate rise above it in so long that kind of took me back. I was like, whoa, okay, you went for it. And granted, Daughter is kind of one of those songs that I think sometimes for me goes through the motions a little bit, especially before the tag, that you're just kind of like, yeah, just wait for the tag to erupt. And, you know, I, I kind of did a double take on that. I'm like, whoa. This is the first time in a long time that I've heard some real energy coming from him and passion coming from him in a spot in Daughter that wasn't later in the tag. Yeah, it's a pretty cool version. I, For me, I feel the Daughter, the later it gets on the set, not the better use you can get out of it, if that makes sense. I don't disagree with that. I think it's much more suited to be like got even flow then you got a couple songs in between and then you get daughter as kind of like your transition into the tail end of your main set yeah that's that's why for me like whenever i listen to it on those first five now in the later era when they're doing the sit down songs to start or kind of like before that middle point that's where it really stands out for me but i think it dilutes a little bit more at the end it feels one of those versions where even though that is good it's more like packed up just to continue to move forward towards the next song and i i don't know it doesn't work for me later in the set yeah they have a cool little call and response here with blitzkrieg bop and ed does a little bit gets really baritone on the hey ho let's go and that's kind of fun but yeah the crowd also is great when coming into the tag they don't need any cues right when they get into that breakdown point they're doing the whoa oh whoa and that sounds really really good that's rare to get from a crowd and even sometimes a big city crowd isn't on top of that right away so yeah they were on top of that and must have made the band feel real good to just have that and use it for the rest of the song but following that got some in an encore and granted you guys remember the Hartford episode? We did that uh, a few months ago. And that was the moment that got some in an encore finally irked me. And I hated it. And I stand behind that always. But I got it in the encore in Buffalo. And then I get in the encore here. And at this point, at Buffalo, I'm like, yeah, well, whatever, whatever, whatever. At this point, I'm just like, really? Again, like this is, you don't have another spot for this. I, I, I'm, I want to hear like songs that maybe a song I haven't heard in a long time, classic nineties songs or any, I, I just didn't want to hear backspacer, I guess, but got some especially because at the time I don't want to go into too much detail because you can, again, hear the whole rant on the Hartford episode, but 
I don't know. I, I had some problems with the song and not really knowing what the sum was and what you needed of it. So it was a song that kind of stuck at me and, and bothered me for a little bit. And the encore, uh, it's not strong enough to me, especially when you got a full tour of it, like for the last three or four years. So did not sit well. Yeah. Maybe they should have played something like Can't Deny Me or Ole. Oh, don't. Oh, don't. Oh, don't. <laughs> oh, don't. They didn't even have Can't Deny Me. Ole, no, was, I, Ole was only played once in the U.S. And that was the Tonight and, Show. Yeah, no, you don't do that ever again, please. Like, mm. no, 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 no. All right. As mentioned earlier, the orbs are out and we're going to get Porch. I love Porch from this era. It's so energetic. The band brings out something very, very unique every single time. Ed loves those green orbs, man. And every night he took a ride. And I remember the night two ride he did because I think he kind of went towards the crowd and kind of got off stage with it. And in this one, he just went side to side and he only did it real briefly. But I think he really, really went for something pretty dramatic on night two that that was really memorable but like yeah of course he gets on one of those orbs and you're thinking shit this is as close to a drop in the park moment as you would get from a 2013 show yeah yeah that's true and i always remember the orbs were like mike and jeff like kind of like jeff kind of like doing boxing things avoiding it and going yeah. back although mike and porch in this version jesus christ Oh yeah, he's like there's fire on that guitar on this solo, and it, like you were saying, it has so much bass and it's so intense. It's kind of it doesn't give you that little space to breathe before that they really hit the gas on it. And yeah, I, I really, really, really like this version when I was listening to it. It's especially, Mike shows some tricks, some pretty tasty licks, filthy licks on the on this filthy version. <laughs> now. The thing that you have to kind of remember sometimes with this band and songs like Porch, Even Flow, etc., etc., that every time they go into this, they're basing it off of total feel, and it's not written down in a book anywhere. And when you recognize that and you listen to one that's going to happen on the previous night and then listen to this, that you understand their greatness and kind of the way that it's like telepathy where they read each other so well there's so many moments within this porch solo where stone changes it up right when mike is about to kind of elevate where the solo is and you can hear at the same time jeff do the same thing and at the same time cameron do the same thing it's like kind of ingrained in their brain maybe timing wise that they know where each other are going to start changing the transition and maybe that's that's a thing that they really really work on they don't have to think about at the time but like you can you can hear it and it's like a well-oiled machine that somebody is going to change the dynamic of where the song is going and everybody's going to follow suit without even a break without even you know it's all synced up it's all synced up and all together so i thought that they did that terrific on this version and yeah, and even at this point, it's interesting because this show is a lot shorter than the second night. 
it's interesting because Ed kind of interrupts the jam here. And maybe the reason why was that he needed to buy a little bit of time because the encore felt pretty quick, too. This was only like a 25 minute encore two, I should say, which is very, very light. And then the encore one, I believe, was 34 minutes. So kind of lightish on both ends. But I think that they would get way more time on night two than they got here. So why don't we get into that encore two? We got the reprise wasted bed. And says, over that, us folk from the Northwest are so appreciative to have this many friends in the great Northeast. The best friends that you get don't always come easy, but you always been good to this group in the early days. So when we were touring with guys like the Chili Peppers and Soundgarden, Mudhoney and Sonic Youth, you got a guy like this guy in the front row who's holding up a sign that says it's his hundredth show. And he says, I owe you some drinks. And then some chaos ensues where he's trying to figure out what this guy's name is and then asks for another bottle and he can't figure it out and then kind of stumbles through a couple words before saying, yeah, we're so grateful that so many people came out to see the group and be careful what you dream because it might come true. I've faced it, a life wasted, a reprise of a life wasted, a wasted of a life wasted, and an alive in this little package here. You want to talk about life wasted a little bit? I'm a sucker for life wasted, so every single time that I get it or every single time that I listen to it and it boot, it's always good. It's funny to hear at the end because we can hear an effect that is not being in use anymore, which is the MM4 by Mind6, which is the, the blue big pedal that it was on the left corner on the top and might have the tendency to use a pan facer. I don't know why he removed that. I, I think it, it will add great sounds to his like army of sounds, whatever he gets on the board. But a really, really good version, I think. Sometimes life wasted if it's not played right, regardless of where it's placed on the set. I feel that it can get a little sloppy, but I think this is a really good version. For me, my ultimate life wasted favorite version is from 2006 in, um, I think it was San Francisco Night 2. But yeah, super cool version. And then that transition to a live felt kind of like, okay, we need to wrap it up. But again, a live felt good and it felt that it didn't have that maybe super long extended outro, but it felt the moment of people were waiting for that and you get that sing along that people wanted just to be part of too. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think you can kind of tell here that Ed's a little bit, you know, reprised, I should say if you get my drift and it's because it's party time and the band has this little section for party songs like wasted is definitely one of them alive all the time is going to be one and then sonic reducer and indifference to close your set it's a really good duo that you don't get a whole lot of so we can get into that in a sec but alive really really good Stone kind of chopping up his rhythm a little bit for the solo, and Matt was pounding away pretty hard, and it felt like a big arena-type rendition of the song and kind of a take-you-home sort of thing. And then we get into Sonic Reducer, and it's kind of all about just that distorted, fast ripper of a punk song that it is. And it was very explosive and so much fun. I remember, I think this was the first time that I'd seen them do it in an arena setting because I'd seen them do it at PJ20. And that had like all of Mudhoney on it. And when you have 
guests on stage and you're having fun in that moment. You're not worrying about how the song is going to sound. You're just having fun. But this one felt like it had good purpose and good drive to it. And that thumping beat from Cameron on the bridge is just nasty. felt very like in your face but yeah it, the beat again i'm going to say this word a lot tonight the pace there were certain songs in the show that they were determined by that but i agree with you like cameron in the back just given the unleash fury that that song needed i think it, it was awesome it, it was a pretty 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 cool version for sure and again you're not getting led better you're getting indifference instead and which is a perfect end to a night one because it's kind of like the cliffhanger from the night. If you get led better on yeah. night one, you're kind of like, oh, well, okay, well, that show ended. But when you get indifference, it kind of feels like it's not the end of the story. You know what I mean? It's it's a weird yeah. dynamic. When you get yellow led better, it's kind of like it's coming to an end or it's, it's a closing thing. But yeah, when you get indifference or maybe other closer, you're like, okay, okay, I see that there's more coming. There's more in the right. story that I want to see. And Indifference at the time, we did the Evolution episode on this not long ago, but I think it was outside of Out of My Mind, it was the last one that we did, and it was fun doing the research for it, but in 2013, this was like the year where it almost split time with Ledbetter closing. They both had around the same amount. If Indifference had 10 times closing a show, then Ledbetter had 13, and that's the only year where it was truly neck and neck since 1995 for these two songs. So it was good to see it. It was good that they implemented it. There was a lot of two night stints where it felt necessary to do it for sure. But you're finishing off this night in a pretty good fashion. And now for all those fans that are going to attend the next night, they are going to be waiting for something very, very special and kind of have that indifference to the first thing in their mind. Okay, what's that going to transition to when we see him at the next time? Yeah, for sure. I got a story here, two stories here. So I guess I'll kind of go in chronological order. Now, I met with a former boss at this show, my first boss at ESPN, I suppose, and met with a bunch of people and you know, just hung out at a bar afterwards and we were there for a while and that kind of ties into where the second story is. But it's interesting because at that point on, you know, I hadn't seen him. He was living in Philly and he kind of brought up to me. He's like, Hey, you know, do you know anybody that wants to live in the townhouse that I lived in when I lived in Connecticut? And I was like, yeah, me. (laughs) I was in a weird situation with a house that was a complete mess with three other guys that I worked with. And 
it was time to go seek out some lodging on my own. So that was kind of a, a life turning point at that moment. And about a month and a half later, I moved in. So it's interesting. And that was like, you know, the first place where my wife moved in when we were dating, you know, in 2016. And then we moved out a couple of years after that. I was, I was there for five years. So that's a turning point in my life, essentially. So I figured I would bring that up. Now, going kind of back to, you know, having to park and finding parking here. So I found a garage when I got there and it was pretty cheap for Brooklyn. I was pretty surprised. It only cost me like $10, $15, which is pretty impressive. But I guess I didn't read the fine print because as I mentioned, we were at a bar and we hung out for a while. We talked, it was like five or six of us. And I think we left the bar around one, if I'm not mistaken. I was staying with a friend of mine in Brooklyn and I was going to obviously take my car over to his place and, you know, park it over there. And then I don't remember what the situation was after the next day. But so what happened was I, I got over to the back to the garage. And since it was an event garage around like 1130 or so, it closed. <laughs> so I had no car. I was down to about 5% of battery, mind you. So, <laughs> yeah. And I had no charger. On my, like, I think my overnight bag was in the car, if I'm not mistaken. So, Jeez. yeah. Yeah. I had to go there just with the clothes on my back and whatever was in my pockets. So, I, I, I flagged down a taxi cab and I get in. And I'm trying to get in touch with my friend. He, I think he was out. I think he might've been sleeping. I, I can't quite remember what he was doing. And I didn't have his roommate's number who I also kind of knew we used to work together, but it was like right when I got in the taxi and I was texting, I was trying to get in touch with him right after I sent the text, my phone died completely dead. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh fuck. I could be stranded somewhere in Williamsburg tonight. And not know, like I knew the address. Thankfully I got the address like right before the phone died and it dropped me off like in front of the apartment building. So I'm standing outside. I have, I knew the like physical address, but I didn't know what his apartment number was. I didn't, don't think I got that. So I was standing outside. Thankfully I didn't get to stand outside for too long because his roommate spotted me. He had gone out with a couple friends and, you know, I probably was out there for like five minutes trying to figure out like, Hey, where can I find his name or something like that? So thankfully he found me, brought me up, but that could have been a night on the street with nothing to my name. If everything went down in the worst way possible, but thankfully I had somewhere to sleep that night. And, you know, unfortunately I didn't really have toiletries or anything like that but when you're out on tour and shit just goes down it just kind of makes the story that much more fun so remember those things from that night even a little bit more than some of the performances i suppose so well sometimes i gotta soldier on but yeah 
Um, thank you, th- thank you, roommate, for saving Randy that night. And lesson for everyone: read the fine print where you're paying for parking <laughs> next time. Couldn't say it better myself. Right? I probably would not listen to that advice. If tell me now, I would probably do it again. All right, let's do uh, some three moments here. I give you the floor to go first, sir. All right, so my favorite three moments of the show, it's number three is going to be Sleight of Hand, number two is going to be Life Wasted, and number one is going to be Do the Evolution, because Ed tried to make Brooklyn sing like South America, and he sort of failed. (laughs) Well, I was trying, damn it. No, I know you were trying. I know that you were trying, but we're getting close, but we're not there yet. I'm glad you had those three because I have a completely different three on me. So oh, okay, let's let's hear it. All right, number three is going to be Chloe Crown because at the time it was really starting to get into the spotlight, and I do remember just the weird main set placement for that and it kind of being a surprise. So I put that at number three. Number two is going to be Release, and I think Release was definitely the best performance of the night, hands down. But mm-hmm. number one for me, due to the memories and due to what my Pearl Jam life was like back then is Oceans because that was important to me that I catch as many songs as humanly possible. And that 10 was the first full album off the board for me with needing Oceans and really, really enjoying the song. Of course, it was a good moment. I'll, I'll remember that one for a while. Well, that gets us into a rating and I'll let you go first on this. I don't quite know what I want to do yet, but I want to listen to where you're going. I think the performances were good. And I think for me, it, it adds so much value just at the fact that they were trying to figure out songs. And even though they're like, we, we said on the show, some of the songs for us didn't feel quite there yet. But I'm always going to appreciate that they had, I mean, th- these guys have like, they have balls. They're going to try stuff live that maybe they don't remember, but they're going to try it anyway. So for me, this is a very solid nine because I really, really appreciate that. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was a good show. I think the uh, for a few hiccups here and there, I think I really love it in the the way that the set flows, and I think it has a lot of meaning and sense to me in the way that the songs were placed, with a few exceptions. But I think overall, I will give it a nine, a solid nine. Interesting. Okay, so obviously, I love night two. I said it earlier in the show, whenever that was, and I adored that show. And that was my favorite show that I'd been to for a very, very, very long time, maybe up until 2022. And this show kind of coming out of it. And when we were at that bar and we were talking, we were just talking about like what we got. And I think we all looked at stat tracker and we were like, there's nothing outside of like the stuff in the encore. There was nothing in the main set that felt like special in a special way. We were like, Hey, we got dissonant, but was that feel massive? And we were all kind of like, kind of, no, not really. Well, the show was fine. And I remember like not hating it necessarily looking back a little bit. I kind of remember that there were a little too many lightning bolt songs that I guess if you're going to do a night one and a night two, you would do the lightning bolt songs on the night one. And I, I'm not going to like dock something for them to want to play the new record, but also a lot of those songs were not hitting for me. And the main set being not 
quite cohesive in spots and having to fill those spots in, it made it tough to fully appreciate this show for what it was because again, it paled into comparison to what we would get. So yeah, this is on the lower side. I'm at 29 shows right now. This is probably below the 22nd spot somewhere. And I'm going to have to give this a 7.5. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not a terrible show at all, but it was never one that I can't remember how many times I went back to this one on boot. Like it was probably one of the last ones when thinking about my shows to be like, Hey, haven't listened to this one in a while. And there were much better shows from this tour. Much, much, much better shows, especially out of the ones that I went to Hartford and night two being just two of them. And even Buffalo, I thought was much better. So next week, I believe Johnny guitar Farrar will be back and we're going to do another show that I went to that probably is in the lower half of shows that I went to for a very good reason. I've told this story before on social media and maybe have alluded to it on the podcast before, but we are doing Fenway night one as a little bit of a tribute to the Fenway shows that are coming much later in the year from 2016. And I'll give you a heads up on what this is, is that this is the only show where my butt was not in the seat for the opener. The only show I ever went to where I missed a decent chunk of the set. And that is going to be the story of next week. So hopefully you guys are there and you're going to listen and tune in and enjoy it. Javier, I think we got to do this again very soon because this was excellent. And of course your insight as always is just mind blowing. So thank you for stepping in on this one. Thank you, my dear bearded friend. It's always, <laughs> it's always, it's always fun, dude. It's always fun. I enjoy this so much, and I'm I'm very intrigued about the story for next week. I don't think I've known the story about Fenway, so I'm very much looking forward to hear this. Yeah, uh, you'll know, you'll know, and I just want to tell you to your face on this podcast how much we all appreciate all the work that you've done with figuring out all the songs and breaking them down and, and really using all of that incredible knowledge that you've learned over the years with all of the gear into a medium for you to get excited about it. And, and like we always, I can tell that you're working tremendously hard on this and coming up with ideas and, and motivated to do it. So, you know, on behalf of all the listeners too, I I haven't heard anybody say, I don't like those Javier segments. So we really appreciate what you do, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. means a lot. And again, it's like, it's, it's awesome to be part of this community and now have friends because as you were saying in this show that you went by yourself, I went That's to a lot of shows by again. myself too, you know, mm-hmm. and before I met all of the, the, the gang that now we, we, we cherish so much. So, uh, I just, I, yeah, it's, I, I enjoy it very, very much. And it's always something that I will enjoy doing, especially for this podcast and this community. So I'm all for it, man. You're part of it, my friend. And we'll obviously get you back on to do a full show at some point in the future. So 
we'll talk more leading into Seattle as well. All right. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, and again, thank you so much to Fred Mangione for coming on and, and telling his stories. That was great stuff. Again, invaluable conversation right there. If you enjoyed what you listened to and you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do because then you'll get all the updates when we put out new episodes. You can do it on the two big platforms that I mentioned every week, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. There are other platforms out there where we're available on, but I mentioned those because most of you guys are listening to it on those platforms. If you're listening to it on another platform, let us know. We would love to know. So if you're there and you would love to give us a five-star rating, then please do so. We really, really appreciate that. And that helps our visibility. That helps get people seen when they're looking for not just Pearl Jam podcast stuff, but just Pearl Jam stuff in general. We just hope to pop up. So that all helps when people are putting into that and letting people know that this is something that they appreciate. And especially with Apple podcasts, where you can leave a comment to tell people what you like about this podcast and why they should listen to it. It will spread the love and hopefully the next person is going to tell their friends and they're going to tell their friends. And that's how this train keeps going for almost six years now. We keep growing and growing and growing because more people keep investing themselves and keep talking about it. So just keep up that conversation, you guys. All right, let's close it on out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Talk about missing things. Ooh, missing, missing, missing is going to be the theme for next week's Fenway Park show. I'm scared to talk about it, but I guess I want to know. We'll see you on the pod. Don't get hit by a flying tuna.